Do you like free stuff? I do. BlueprintMCAT.com. Go sign up for a free account. Get access to Blueprint MCAT's Diagnostic, Blueprint MCAT's Full Length One, Blueprint MCAT's amazing brand new space repetition platform with over 1,600 flashcards already made for you, as well as their amazing study planner tool. Schedule out the content so you know if you are on track to take the MCAT when you need to. Again, that's blueprintmcat.com for all of those free goodies. The MCAT Podcast, session number 167. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Blueprint MCAT. The MCAT Podcast is free MCAT prep to help you understand the MCAT, teach you how to break down questions, and give you the skills and confidence to get the score you want on your MCAT test day. Learn more about Blueprint MCAT at blueprintprep.com slash MCAT. A collaboration between the medical school headquarters and Next Step Test Prep, the MCAT podcast is here to make sure you have the information you need to succeed on your MCAT test day. We all know that the MCAT is one of the biggest hurdles you'll face as a pre-med, and we're here to give you the motivation and information that you need to know to help get you the score you deserve so you can one day call yourself a physician. Welcome to the MCAT Podcast. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week. And as always, or at least the last few weeks, I'm joined by none other than Phil from Next Step Test Prep. A lot of you are loving Phil, reaching out to me directly saying, I want to work with Phil directly. If you want to do that, you can shoot me an email and I will forward you to the right people to make that potentially happen. I know Phil's a busy man doing a ton of stuff with Next Step and the MCAT, but if you are looking for some tutoring, you can contact Next Step Test Prep directly and talk to them about tutoring and let them know you heard about them here on the podcast. Today, we have a great episode diving into really what the MCAT is and what's on it because there's so much. And we're going to talk about the AAMC outline, which is something a lot of you, most of you have never looked at and don't know anything about and it will help you prepare for your MCAT. Phil, back for some more MCAT podcasts. Now that Christmas in October is over, the fourth MCAT hopefully is out by now. Uh, if you've taken it in the future as we're recording this, I hope you mm-hmm. I hope you scored well so you can keep up the reputation of being a, an MCAT master. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about something that we don't talk about enough Uh, Obviously, self-prep is important, but potentially where to go, whether you're self-prepping or using Next Step for the course or tutoring or anywhere else, again, straight to the horse's mouth with the AAMC and their huge outline that they have of, of material that they expect students to know. Where can students find this huge outline and how should students be using it in their prep process? Yeah, so the AMC has this outline. It's like, what's on the MCAT exam? And it's yeah, it's 100 and some pages. I don't know exactly. It's 128 pages. Um, and so it's a huge outline, right? And they're kind of like go into depth into each of the things and each of the sections. They break it down into different categories, like category one, two, and three is bio, four and five is chemistry and physics, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 is psychology and sociology, and then 11 and 12 is cars. <laughs> um, 
some of those things are not as useful as like prep tools as others. Um, like if you look at the, the, you know, chemistry physics stuff, it'll say like, you need to know magnetism. And it's like, yeah, yeah, I know. Right. Like that's, that's, that's something I need to know there. But I think that this outline is really, really useful in the psychology and sociology section where it goes in and it's very granular with different vocab terms. And, and a lot of times that that is the psychology and sociology section is is testing your your knowledge of vocab. Right. Like what's psychophysics, which isn't nearly as awesome as it sounds um, or signal detection theory or Korsakoff syndrome. Right. Like there's a really good chance that you never heard of Korsakoff syndrome in undergrad. Um, or at least I hope not. And and so, you know, this is something that is on the outline. The MCAT is going to hold you accountable for knowing what Korsakoff syndrome is. And so the outline is a really great place for you to see what stuff they're going to be asking you about and and what stuff they're going to expect you to know. This is something I talk about sometimes is there's this box of information that they expect you to know. Right. That doesn't mean that they can't ask you anything outside of that. Right. Like. Um, AAMC has some, some like practice materials focusing on circular dichroism chromatography or matrix assisted laser desorption ionization, which are techniques like biotechniques or analyzing proteins that you've never heard of, right? I'm almost guaranteed. And they know that and they're okay with that. They expect you not to have seen that. And so if they ask you any questions about it, like you're just going to have to go to the passage and pull stuff out of the passage and and so that those questions are not testing your knowledge. They're testing your ability to read and learn and understand what's going on in this, this experiment. But there's the other stuff that they expect you to know, and they're going to hold you accountable for it. And this outline is a really great place to kind of like figure out what stuff this is that they're holding you accountable for. And I think that that is nowhere more useful than in the psychology area. So this there, I had a student like several, like a couple of years ago who was strong pretty much across the board except for the psych area. And so this student, we had like a month. And so what we did is we just worked through this outline and I had this student explain in their own words with their own examples. Um, and, you know, like I asked them, like, how do you think the MCAT's going to going to test this? And so as we like went through this, we spent a whole month on it. She took a bunch of practice tests. And, uh, she, she got like, she went from like a 124 to like a 130 and a 131 on the practice test. Mm. But then she took her actual test and she got a 132, a perfect score. And so I got really excited. I'm like, who I'm going to do this with everybody. <laughs> and so since then I've, I've done this with 10 students and five students have gotten perfect scores. Now I've had like 25 students. And so I haven't done this with all of my students. So if you're one of those students and you're like, why didn't we do this? It's because <laughs> it takes a long time. Um, it's like, it's, if you have only like a month or two to prep for the exam, there's not really enough time to, to kind of do this because it takes, it's like a, a big long process and it takes a couple of months. And so now we're in this zone here where, you know, no one's going to be taking the MCAT for months, um, you know, given the time of year and when the next MCATs are. And so this seems to me like, you know what, maybe we can kind of like shoehorn this in and like what's helped with all, all these other students can maybe help you guys that are listening to this. And we can kind of talk through some of these different bullet points. So let's let's talk uh, a little bit outside of psychosocia. We'll dive into that in one second. But for 
the the students that you were working with who who went through this and kind of made their own little outline and story and book and everything else for <laughs> for all of these things should a student be doing that with every part of this outline with with every section every category that this outline focuses on potentially as they're going through their courses or like a year before the MCAT and then really diving in for MCAT prep 6 months out or 4 months out whatever it is I, I definitely think a student should look at the outline for every section, but I, I don't think it's as useful in like the bio section and the other things because it'll say like, I'm just like looking at it here. There's something about um, bioenergetics concentration is what they say. And so like, that's like a, that's like, that doesn't really help that much with like knowing what I should be looking at. Now, if you don't know what bioenergetics is or like thermodynamics, like you should go look this up and like, you know, try to get, you know, like go to the books and, you know, go to the videos and things like this and try to figure out, you know, what's going on with those topics. But a lot of the things in the psych social is really just discrete vocab things. They're not topics versus a lot of the stuff in the, the bio and chemistry and physics there, those outlines, they're more topics than than vocab stuff the other thing is that in the physics section right like if it says you know knowing like the right hand rule and magnetism and like you know the equation for a magnetic field like writing out like what you think is the magnetic field and like what that equation is that's not nearly as useful as doing practice questions because that's how you're going to get tested on those things. You're going to get tested not on memorizing these, but you're going to get tested on utilizing them. Mm. And so I think that in the the chemistry, physics, bio areas, because those are testing more utilizing these ideas, that just like writing out a list of like, what are all these ideas in a row? That doesn't, that's not nearly as useful. But in the psych section, like you just need to know what is this thing, right? They are kind of testing this vocab stuff. And so if you can go through and write out what's the vocab definition of all of these things, then that's going to to mesh a lot better with what the MCAT is actually going to ask when it comes to those questions. Okay. All right. So let's dive into this psych social section and see if we can get, that's the hardest thing to say. It, it is. I was just thinking that like that, man, it's so, such a tongue twister. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could call it the PS section, uh, yeah. which is much better. Um, that sounds a lot more like BS. Yeah. So you got kind of a <laughs> which there. I mean, si- yeah. no, never mind. I don't want to. I don't want to <laughs> hurt any yeah. psychology feelings. Um, right, right. Let's let's talk about the PS section. Um, yeah. Again, kind of diving into the fact that this is a section where you really just have to know a ton, and students should be potentially going through this outline creating their own kind of thoughts and and ideas right. on on each of these let's go ahead and help them a little bit with some of these yeah. so where do you want yeah. to start just one second though like calling it the ps section that that like just like lit a fire in my brain of like like ps like at the end of a letter like it's an afterthought mm-hmm. and that's that's what's going on with psych it's the afterthought nobody yeah. is is really prepping a lot of psych and i know there's a lot of students out there who have you know their scores are okay in psych, like maybe that that's like one of their stronger areas. Maybe they're like, you know, 127 in chem, you know, 125 in cars, a 128 in bio, and then there are 127 in psych. And so psych isn't really like the worst area for them. Hmm. Um, or maybe it's one of the stronger areas even. But there's an interesting thing going on with psych that, you know, first off, I, I love to talk about and like rail on this. And every student who's interacted with me has probably heard this. But you have more psychology questions than you do physics and chemistry combined. But people are ignoring psych and they're spending like a month 
focusing on physics. And, and this is kind of pervasive across the board. And I think that this changes the way that it's scored because the MCAT is a curved exam. And so if everyone is not really putting in a lot of effort in psych, then everyone is doing okay in psych because it's kind of like an even thing. But I think if there's any section where a little bit of effort will raise a score like disproportionately, like where, where can I put in the most, the least amount of effort and raise my score the most? I think it's the psych social section. And that's because nobody's spending any time on this. And, and honestly, like I could see this really changing in the next couple of years as, as students start to focus on and really understand how important the psych sociology section is. I've never, I've never been able to raise a student score to perfect scores as quickly and easily as I can with psych. Um, a lot of the other ones are a lot more complex, but mm -hmm. the, the psych one, you're able to like get this, this multiplication of of effort, right? So a small amount of effort goes a long way there. And that's just because everyone's ignoring psych. And so those of you guys who are feeling like my score is okay in psych, that's how everyone's feeling. And that's <laughs> why you can, you can like differentiate yourself. And so if you need to raise your score two or three points, psych might be the best way to do it. So let's, I want to, to pause real quick because I think a lot of students just heard what you said about one specific thing and we're like, wait a minute, that's not what they've said before. You said the MCAT is curved. Now, I, that's a very general term that a lot of mm -hmm. students will just throw at, at something, but it's technically not curved, correct? It, it's just some special right. fancy word and something else. Right, right. It, but it is adjustable. Yes. Right? And so the way that, that it's set up is that every, like every exam, the average is a 125. Mm -hmm. And so it's not like the, the technical like bell curve definition that like most people are familiar with like yeah. if you're a statistician you're annoyed and you're like no it's not right yeah but the general term a, I, the specific term i think is called equated which we've used before whatever right, that means right. <laughs> yeah equated but you know the average is a 125 and so you know if you take what the average student gets they adjust that to be a 125 mm. and so you know if everyone is is you know missing more questions because they're not spending a lot of time studying this then then you end up you know, like adjusting the scale, you know, based in that area. So I think what you're saying is we should break the MCAT. Every student should should go in and and say, OK, we're all going to answer a for every question <laughs> and we're all going to do horrible, although that won't necessarily work because all the questions are different. So you, you right. one, one person might get more more right than the other. So ne never mind. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah. No. Or, or, you know, you need to convince everyone else to do this. Every, like I hear this thing, like, what if I hired 10,000 people to take the exam on the same day as me and I paid them all the bomb it, right? Like, could, could that fix my score? I'm like, yeah, maybe, but the MCAT's probably going to figure that out. Yeah. And that's also, you're going to have to pay them a lot of money. <laughs> that's a right? lot of money. You got to be real yeah. rich for that. $20 uh, an hour times eight hours times 10,000. the cost of Purchasing the seat, right? <laughs> yep. Okay. Uh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So let's let's dive into uh, this this outline here and and work through some of these high yield ish kind of um, uh, categories and, and content in here. Yeah. So I figured the first thing, you know, let's just hit the very first topic on here, which is sensation, like sensation and perception. They're, they're two different things. Like the neurologist in me, the, the neuroscientist looks at these and is like, well, yeah, you have to be really clear on what the difference is. But like to a, a layman, like a sensation, like perception, like they're, they're pretty much the same. Right. 
But a sensation is actually like a neurologic base, mm. right? So did you activate a neuron? Did that signal get sent to your brain? It's possible to sense something, but not perceive it, right? And so there's a difference between those. Like a flea might land on my arm and that's able to, you know, activate some Pacinian corpuscle and that sends the signal up to my brain and the signal's coming in, but I don't notice, right? And so... There, there's like these different thresholds, which is another vocab term. There's there's a threshold of of sensation, and then there's a threshold of perception. And so you want to make sure that you know the difference between these. And so, you know, if a flea landed on my arm, I might be able to notice it with the sensation, but I don't notice it with the perception. If a hawk landed on my arm, I'm going to notice that, right? And that's because it's a much bigger stimulus. And so I'm going to be able to perceive this. And so the, the size of the stimulus, there's the absolute threshold, which is the threshold of sensation. And then there's a threshold of perception where a, a louder or more intense stimuli is able to um, increase, you know, the, the likelihood of you perceiving and noticing things. And, you know, this example is just with touch, but there's the same thing with light. Right. Like if, if a neighbor in, in another house like lights a candle, like that light might hit your eye, but you don't notice it. Right. Like I didn't notice that like some light went off. If it's like bright out, like if I was looking for it, maybe I would notice it. But like I didn't perceive this, even though I did sense it. Um, and the same thing with like sounds and smells and all the other fun senses that we have um, where you might be able to sense something but not perceive it. Will will questions come from this section or this specific theory or, or idea where it's like okay here's this um, this idea where it's it hasn't met this specific threshold what's what's a way to to get over this threshold or what's potentially blocking this threshold are 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 they digging in that much on the MCAT or no. Yeah, they could totally give you something like a question of, you know, we we damaged a nerve and now the signal can't get to the brain, mm. right? So what process are we actually messing with? The process of sensation or perception, right? Or they could ask you a question like all the stuff we've been talking about is there are cases where you can sense something but not perceive it, right? Which is like the flea on the arm mm. or the candle in the window that you just didn't notice. But there's also the opposite, um, they might ask you something like, is it possible to perceive something and not sense it? Right. And so that's a really interesting question. Um, and like what that would be. Do you have any, do you have any thoughts on what a perception without a sensation would be? A perception without a sensation. Uh, so that would be you noticing something that, that is there that isn't actually there. Oh yeah. Right? yeah, Like a phantom vibration in my pocket. <laughs> right. <laughs> From right. my or phone. Phantom limb. Yeah. Right. Phantom limb syndrome or just a hallucination. Right. Yeah. Like I feel like there is a dancing purple elephant in there. My <laughs> eye is not seeing the dancing purple elephant, but I am perceiving it in my brain. And so hallucinations or phantom things. And so this is what you need to be doing as you're going through. You don't just want to be like defining like the definition of this, the definition of this, but like thinking about how the MCAT is going to be asking you questions as to, you know, the differences between sensation thresholds, you know, perception, kind of like what's going on with these and what cases is one thing being messed with, but not the other. When do we have one, but not the other? And, and, and thinking about those in like a more dense form. Hmm. Okay. All right, let's move on. All right. So then the next topic on this, this outline here is Weber's law, which is one of my favorite things to talk about. It's this, there's another threshold associated with this, this just noticeable difference with, you know, the classic example of Weber's law is like, imagine that you close your eyes and you put a, a paperclip in your hand. If someone were to add another paperclip on top of that, 
Like, would you notice the change in weight? There's a good chance you would, right? Like you would notice the added weight of the paperclip. But if you're carrying a couch and somebody <laughs> throws a paperclip on top, you're not going to notice that, right? And so it's not that your body is able to sense a change in like the, the intensity of the, the like incoming thing. Like it's not your body notices every paperclip that's added to weight, right? Your body notices a percent increase. Mm -hmm. They notice an increase in like a certain percentage of the stimuli. And so in that case, like going from one paperclip to two, that's 100% increase. And that's noticeable versus the couch, like that's going up like 0.001% increase in weight. And so there's, there's generally some percent increase that your, your body will notice in terms of sensation. And it's not just within the realm of the physical, like touching, you know, that sort of thing. This also applies to sound and light and, you know, hearing and seeing things. Now I want to be really clear here because this is a, a, a common trap that I could see the MCAT asking and I could see students falling for it. Weber's law is about the intensity of a, of a stimulus. It's about the intensity of a signal coming in. If you're changing the intensity of a sound or a changing the intensity of a light, like a light source, you're talking about louder or brighter. You are not talking about changing colors or changing frequencies. Those are, those are not intensities and changes in, in intensities. Those are changes in frequencies or changes in like energetics. And there's things going on there um, like with, with light, like the higher frequencies, the higher energy thing. But that's, that's not really what Weber's Law is about. It's about the intensity of the signal source. So brightness and loudness. Okay. And so my favorite example of Weber's law. And this is, this is an experiment I did as a child that I did not realize was Weber's law, but in hindsight, it definitely was where I'm like sitting on a couch watching TV. And my mom's yelling at me is like, Hey, sh turn down the TV. Like it was at like 50. And so I'd turn it down to 40 and I'm like grumbling to myself. Cause I can't hear the Ninja Turtles as loud <laughs> as I wanted to. And so I would take this and then I'd turn it up to 41 and then 42 mm -hmm. and then 43. And eventually I'm at like 58. Right? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like cackling to myself, like it's louder than when it started and mom doesn't know. Uh, and that's because she didn't notice those small incremental changes because yeah. the percent increase of each of those was, was too small versus, you know, go, if I went straight from 40 to 58, she would have yelled at me before I got the button to, it's, to 49. It's the classic uh, boiling the frog analogy. Right, right. Exactly. You know, it's a, another application of Weber's law. And so, you know, kind of thinking about this, you know, like with the, with the light example, like standing and in, in the woods in the middle of the night and someone lights a candle, like first off, that's crazy spooky. But secondly, you're going to see that candle, right? Versus if you're on stage and there's like a bunch of spotlights shining in your eyes and someone in the back of the, someone in the back of the, the theater lights a candle, like you're not going to notice that, right? Even though it's the same amount of added light, it's the, the light from the candle isn't, we're not changing the amount there. We're just changing like the percent increase. So if it's pitch black and they add a candle, that's an infinite increase in light. If you have spotlights shining in your eyes and someone has a candle, you're not going to notice that really. Mm. Okay. So Weber and that's Weber's law. Yeah. Weber's law that the, that you will notice a percent increase. Okay. And depending upon what sense we're talking about, like it might be 5%, it might be 10%. Some senses are more fine tuned than others. Um, and you don't need to memorize like the really precise stuff. You know, mm -hmm. like what's, what is it going on with sound at this specific frequency? Because mm -hmm. um, there's also some adjustments there based on like pain tolerances where you'll notice more for like really loud things, but that's getting really into the weeds. 
yeah. beyond what the MCAT is actually wanting to ask about. So here's a question from from my med school days and and tuning fork days, the Weber and Renee test for for hearing with tuning forks and vibrations. Is that the same Weber or is that just something different? That is a really brilliant question that I should have seen, right? Like <laughs> Weber's law. Like I, I actually have a tuning fork on my desk because yeah. I chase my dog around with it. Um, but, that sounds sketchy, but let's move yeah, on. Uh, I think she likes it. Uh, I'm not sure. Um, but <laughs> she like starts to bark at it anytime I hit the tuning fork. Um, I think she thinks it's Satan. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I feel like that, that there's a good chance that's the same Weber, right? Because we're talking about intensities maybe not i don't yeah. know okay. i want i want to say it's the same thing it's probably some family dynasty of like the webbers <laughs> like did everything kind of like the um god what was the started with an r the the model of a nucleus the yeah i don't, I don't know. know yeah they also okay. bore not r i was thinking roar which is a different name of somebody okay. i know but the bore shift like the oh, Bohr yeah. shift with a like hemoglobin and then there's the Bohr model of a nucleus. And it's like this family dynasty where the dad um, like got a Nobel prize. And then one of the sons got a Nobel prize and like one of the other sons didn't. And that's like the loser in the family. Um, and I feel like that that's a hard family to keep up with in some terms of science. All right. So there you have it. Another great episode. As I mentioned earlier, if you are looking for some tutoring for the MCAT, go to nextsteptestprep.com. Sign up for a free consultation call, check it out, and tell them you heard about them here on the MCAT Podcast. Hope you have a great week. We'll see you next time here on the MCAT Podcast. This is MedEd Media.